bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these big signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 7, 2013. I'm going to start this week in general news with a recently released, as recent as yesterday, Joint Committee on Taxation report on the House Committee on Ways and Means suggestions for reform that were submitted to the tax reform working groups. This is a document that attempts to aggregate all the comments the 11 House Ways and Means tax reform working groups received and then to summarize them. And I'll give you an update on the comments as they relate to the new market tax credit, the low-income housing tax credit, historic tax credits, and renewable energy. From there, I'll move on to the new market tax credit segment, wherein I'll review the Community Development Financial Institution Funds, CDFI Funds, new draft 2012 allocation agreement template. The draft was released last week, and it contains two significant changes from the prior draft. First, there's a definition of a non-real estate qualified active loan community business, or QUILICB, and a real estate QUILICB. And then second, there's a new fee disclosure requirement in Section 6.12 of the Allocation Agreement Template. In our historic tax credit discussion, I have some very welcome news. Representatives of the Internal Revenue Service and the Treasury Department have indicated that guidance will be issued soon related to a safe harbor for historic tax credit transactions. This guidance is expected to address historic tax credit industry concerns related to the historic Boardwalk Hall LLC decision that denied an investor an allocation of federal historic tax credits. Then, in our low income housing tax credit segment, I'll discuss the National Housing Council's Center for Housing Policies Housing Landscape Report for 2013. Regular listeners will note that in the last month's Ways and Means hearing on tax reform and residential real estate, the level of demand or need for affordable housing was one of the questions posed by Committee Chairman Dave Camp. This study is just the latest that confirms that there is a clear need for more affordable rental housing. Also, I have an announcement from the Texas Affiliation of Affordable Housing Providers, which is seeking a new executive director. And finally, in this week's Renewable Energy discussion, I'll share recent updates made by the Treasury Department to the annual report form that's used by grantees under the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news, we turn to a Joint Committee on Taxation report that was released yesterday. This is a report wherein the Joint Committee on Taxation summarizes all of the various comments that the House Ways and Means Tax Reform Working Groups received. These are comments that were due by April 15th, and as we previously reported, the deadline for this report was May 6th, and we did get a copy of the report yesterday. Now, in the area of low-income housing tax credits, new market tax credits, and historic tax credits, you can turn to the real estate tax reform working group and look at what comments they received. With respect to the low-income housing tax credit, this report notes that they received comments to retain the low-income housing tax credit 
to make permanent the 9% credit floor. They also received comments to make permanent a 4% floor credit, not even so much make it permanent, but to create and make permanent a 4% floor for acquisition and taxes and bond financed properties. There also was a suggestion, or at least one or more suggestions, to increase allocation authority, increase the amount of loan and tax credits by 50%. This is consistent with the bipartisan policy center's recommendations. And then there was also a comment to amend the loan and tax credit student rule to allow formerly homeless youths who become students to be qualified tenants. So those all in all are all very good recommendations within the loan and tax credit program. And I know a number of our listeners will support one or more of those provisions. I will note the only adverse comment that I could find in the 568-page summary was a review of the President's Economic Recovery Board's report from several years ago, wherein they suggested evaluating whether or not to include the low-income housing tax credit in any tax reform proposal. And this was part of the report where they summarized prior tax reform advisory boards, or at least advisory boards that made comments on tax reform. Now, turning to the new market tax credit program, didn't see any adverse comments within the 568-page report. The actual comments that, and the comments that they did receive were make the new market tax credit permanent, increase credit authority, without mentioning a specific level, indexing the program for inflation, allowing the new market tax credit to be applied against the alternative minimum tax, and also to not, that's right, to not replace the new market tax credit in whole or in part with a grant program. And then turning to historic tax credits, the provisions or the comments that they received included retain present law credits with certain modifications, including with respect to tax and abuse property, increase the rehabilitation credit to 30% from 20% for smaller projects, for the rehabilitation credit required that the building be placed in service no less than 50 years before the qualified expenditures are taken into account. This is basically having a 50-year time period as opposed to a pre-1936 time period since originally with the Tax Reform Act of 86, it was pre-36, which was a 50-year requirement, but they just kept it at pre-36. So they want it to be a rolling 50-year time period. Also uh, add an energy efficiency supplement to the historic credit and to exempt from taxable income the proceeds from the sale allocation or the transfer of a refund of a state historic tax credit. These provisions, as you uh, have surmised, are fairly similar to those that are in the CAP Act, uh, an act that the Historic Tax Credit Coalition and other historic preservation groups are pushing Congress to pass to improve and modernize the historic tax credit. Now, turning to renewable energy, most notably production tax credits and investment tax credits, in the production tax credit area, the report summarizes comments that include calls for either extending or repealing the production tax credit, so there were both, uh, other comments ask for specific modifications, such as giving biomass power the same credit as wind, allowing private operators of municipally owned facilities to qualify for the production tax credit, or expanding the production tax credit to cover waste, heat, biogas, renewable chemicals, and other bio-based products. One comment called for reducing the production tax credit and using the revenues to create a new renewable power integration credit which provide additional tax incentives to utilities as their reliance on intermittent sources of renewable power increases. Turning to energy investment tax credits, 
Some comments call for extending the credit, others called for its repeal. Some comments proposed modifying the credit. The modification proposals included allowing high efficiency biomass thermal combustion property to qualify, providing the same credit rate for microturbines as for other qualifying property, modifying the eligibility requirements for qualified combined heat and power property, adding superconducting transmission lines to the list of qualified property, adding algae fuel property to the list of qualified property, removing the limitation in solar heating systems for commercial swimming pools, adding offshore wind property to the list of qualified property, adding utility-scale energy storage property to the list of qualified property, and, and this is probably the most significant of all of these, and it represents the ninth item, creating a direct pay option. So now that I've summarized the key provisions uh, that I pulled out of the 568-page summary, uh, I would invite listeners to send me an email to cpas at novaco.com with what additional provisions or comments in the report that they've identified that they think are particularly relevant. Yeah. All in all, if you do look at the report, you'll notice there aren't revenue scores. There's a host of items that aren't in there. And in some ways, what's not in there is more telling than what's in there. I don't think there were any real surprises in terms of the comments. Uh, and the fact that there's no revenue scores makes the document a little bit less useful and provides a little bit less insight than you might otherwise expect. I'll also note that the House Ways and Means Committee does have a meeting this week and a meeting next week where each of the working group's chairs and co-chairs will be presenting the results of their committee's work. And I'll also note that given the time period, each uh, committee will have roughly 10 minutes to share their comments. So it's not as if these uh, hearings over the next two days, which are scheduled for about three hours, will have much opportunity to go into much depth as to the actual work performed by the working groups. And with that, we'll sort of move on towards tax reform efforts as they continue in the House and in the Senate, and we'll continue to report uh, on those efforts in future sections of the general news provision of this podcast. In new market tax credit news, last week, the Community Development Financial Institutions Fund, the CDFI Fund, released the draft 2012 Allocation Agreement Template. As most listeners know, the template for the Allocation Agreement provides boilerplate provisions of the terms and conditions that community development entities enter into with the CFI Fund that govern the use of their allocation. The exact terms and conditions of each new market tax allocation is set forth in the individualized agreements that are executed by the CFI Fund and each allocatee. The draft document for the 2012 Allocation Round contains two significant changes from the previous draft. First, this year's allocation agreement includes a definition of a non-real estate qualified active long-term community business, or COLICBI, as well as a definition of a real estate COLICBI. These definitions have not been previously included in the actual allocation agreement. In addition, the definition that is now included in the agreement template is different than the definition of a non-real estate COLICBI that had appeared in the application. The new definition is narrower in a way that might limit some types of investments that have previously been considered non-real estate collectives. Now, the updated template also features new fee disclosure requirements in Section 6.12. Under the new section, allocatees must disclose to the collectives any and all 
direct and indirect new market tax credit related transaction costs related to a qualified loan community investment in a separate standalone disclosure statement. These fees include legal, accounting, and compliance fees and compensation that the CDE is assessing the COLICB or otherwise requiring the COLICB to incur prior to, during, and at the conclusion of the seven-year new markets tax credit term. The CDFI fund has also provided guidance regarding the disclosure statement in the form of an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions, document. A copy of the 2012 Allocation Agreement template and the Disclosure Requirement FAQ can be found online at www.newmarketstaskcredit.com. Now, you're probably wondering about the involvement of the New Market Task Credit Working Group here. Well, the New Market Task Credit Working Group will discuss these changes during its next conference call on May 14th. Now, if you'd like to join the group and be part of this conversation, I'd encourage you to contact Kyle Resig at 678-867-2333 or contact my partner, Brad Elphick, in our Atlanta office. Now, in other New Market Tax Credit news, the CDFI Fund released a special update to its April Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report, this on April 25th. The updated version reflects the newly announced Round 10 allocations. And on May 2nd, the CDFI Fund released its May report. The report shows that more than $64.3 million of QEIs were finalized in April. That's about $6.5 million more than the amount finalized in March and about $22.4 million more than in February. So far, 2013 is off to a slow start compared to previous years. The year-to-date amount for 2013 is about $400 million. And that's about $270 million less than the amount finalized this time last year, and nearly $640 million less than the same time in 2011. Now, obviously, this is due in large measure to the fact that the program was extended in January, isn't at the $5 billion level, and various sort of timing matters. Now, we'll discuss the year ahead for the New Market Tax Credit program in greater depth at our Novogratic Spring New Market Tax Credit Conference that's in Washington, D.C., June 6th and 7th. I encourage you to join us. One of the highlights is certain to be our keynote speaker, Congressman Pat Tiberi. He's the subcommittee chair for the House Select Revenues Committee and the House Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives. Now, I invite you to join us. You'll have an opportunity there to discuss the latest industry news, learn more about the New Market Tax Credit's 10th allocation round, as well as to meet allocatees and forge new partnerships. If you register at www.novaco.com before May 14th, there's an early bird savings on the registration fee of $100. I do hope to see you there. In historic tax credit news, this goes in the category of very welcome news. Representatives of the Internal Revenue Service and the Treasury Department have indicated publicly that guidance will be issued soon related to a safe harbor for historic tax credit transactions. While soon can't come soon enough, this is a good development. The guidance is expected to address historic tax credit industry concerns related to the historic boardwalk hall decision. The exact timing of the guidance, unfortunately, isn't isn't known, but reports of its creation and advancement hopefully will help reassure many historic tax credit investors. As described by Historic Tax Credit Coalition founder John Lee Tetrell, in this month's Novograd Journal of Tax Credits, market response to a memo released in March 
that cited the historic boardwalk hall case was swift and severe. First you had this first you had the historic boardwalk hall case, then you had this IRS memo. And that IRS memo generated this swift and severe result. John notes that some of the largest historic tax credit investors had paused or suspended their investment activity as a result of that memo, and that syndicators reported potential new investors were wary. Now, I encourage you to read more about the Historic Tax Credit Coalition's response to this development and other challenging issues faced by the Historic Tax Credit community by going to www.novaco.com backslash journal, and then to receive an alert as soon as the expected guidance is released by the IRS on the safe harbor, I'd encourage you to go to www.novaco.com and sign up to receive our free industry alert emails. In the local housing tax credit news, the National Housing Council's Center for Housing Policy released its housing landscape report for 2013. This annual report focuses on housing affordability for working households. In this case, working households are those earning less than 120% of the area median income, with members working at least 20 hours per week on average. The report found that more than a quarter of working renter households, more than a quarter, bear a severe housing cost burden. That means that they spend 50% or more of their income on housing costs. That's an increase of more than 3% since 2008. That same group saw their household incomes fall more than 3% and housing costs rise 6% between 2008 and 2011. The Center for Housing Policy reports that the rates of severe housing cost burdens are also unfortunately on the rise across the country. According to the study, since 2008, the rate of severe housing cost burden rose in 24 states, and it only fell in one, South Dakota. The five states with the highest share of working households with a severe housing cost burden in 2011 were California, Florida, New Jersey, Hawaii, and New York. In each of these states, between 30 and 34% of working households had a severe housing cost burden. The report cited great demand and limited supply of rental housing as the main reason for high housing costs. The report didn't make any direct recommendations, I note, but in a press release on the report, National Housing Council President and CEO Chris Estes voiced support for programs like the Log Housing Tax Credit and HOME. He said increased funding for those programs could help alleviate the housing affordability crisis. Regular listeners will note that in last month's Ways and Means hearing on tax reform and residential real estate, the level of demand or need for affordable housing was one of the questions posed by Committee Chairman Dave Camp. This study is just the latest, unfortunately, of many that confirm that there is a clear need for more affordable rental housing. You can find a full copy of the report at www.taxcredithousing.com. Also, a quick note, the Texas Affiliation of Affordable Housing Providers, TAP, announced last week that it's seeking an executive director to lead the organization upon the retirement of current executive director Jim Brown. TAP is an organization of affordable housing professionals in Texas that represents the affordable housing industry and works for laws, policies, regulations, and programs 
that support the development of quality affordable housing for Texans. More information about the position can be found online at taptaahp.org. Or to learn more, you can also call my partner, George Littlejohn, in our Austin, Texas office. He's very active with the organization. George can be reached at 512-340-0420. Turning to renewable energy tax credit news, last week the Treasury Department updated the annual report form that's used by grantees under the Section 1603 cash grant program. Beginning May 13th, the online application reporting system will have a modified annual report for awardees to complete. The update includes what the Treasury Department calls clarifying texts that's been added to several questions. There are also three additional questions. In Section 2, all awardees must answer a question about whether the owner of the energy property is filed for bankruptcy. In Section 4, all awardees must answer questions about whether the energy property has stopped producing and any actions taken, if so, to resume production. And in Section 1, awardees who have sold the energy property to an eligible purchaser must upload the written agreement between the awardee and the eligible purchaser to be jointly liable for any recapture. To assist awardees in documenting production, Treasury has posted a list of recommendations for annual report production documentation. Specifically, the recommendations are designed to assist grantees in completing Section 4.3 of the annual report. The recommendations do not address all possible scenarios for a complete annual report, but Treasury says most applicants should find that reviewing these suggestions will minimize requests for additional documentation. For questions about these changes, or about the Section 1603 grant program in general, please contact my partner Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office, or my partner Tony Grapponi in our Boston office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik & Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.